Hey guys, Michael here with Wedding Videography School. If you're looking for a solid and reliable contract that you can feel good about sending to your clients, look no further than the WVS contract, crafted by a licensed attorney in the state of Colorado. It might just be the best contract for wedding videographers in all of North America, or even maybe the world. Uh, hard to know. Regardless, if you're unsure of whether the contract you're using right now is good enough, go to WeddingVideographySchool.com right now, enter the password podcast, and start protecting yourself and your business today. Hey guys, Michael here with WeddingVideographySchool.com. Hope you're having a great day. I know I am. I've pulled myself out of hibernation to do this quick update on the podcast. I've been enjoying a few days off, um, except yesterday my two-year-old son Henry got sick and, uh, you know, I spent a good amount of time cleaning up after him, if you if you can imagine what I'm talking about Uh don't know if some of you guys are out there eating or something like that while you're listening. So I will spare you the details, but needless to say, uh, I, I did a lot of laundry yesterday. So, uh, he is, he is on the mend, he's sleeping. And so I figured this would be a great time to come down to the office and knock out a little recording here. There's two topics that I want to hit on today. Um, one is a question that I received via email from Daniel and another question. Actually, this isn't a question. This is just something I want to say about taxes. It's tax season. So let's, let's dive into that portion of the podcast real quick, uh, before we answer, answer Daniel's question. I used to do my taxes by myself, right? I used to log on to H&R Block and go through their program and fill everything out. I was like, man, this is great. I don't have to go to the H&R Block office and sit there and answer dumb questions. I can just figure it out on my own and do my return solo. And like I said, I had done this for a while. And every year I was getting about $1,000 back as a refund. And I thought that was pretty good. But as my taxes were getting a little more complicated, I started a couple more businesses and LLCs, and I thought, you know what, maybe I should go visit a CPA, a certified public accountant, and see what they can do for me in terms of helping me get all my tax information together, filing my taxes. Who knows, maybe I'll, I'll even get a little bit better of a refund. And for those of you who have listened to this podcast, you know that I put 33% of my income into estimated tax payments throughout the year, right? So I, I every every check that I get, every payment that I receive from a client, I take 33% of that and I basically put it in a savings account and four times a year, I send that into the IRS to make sure that at the end of the year, I don't owe any money. Well, I went to see this certified public accountant. Her name is Alice. Um, we'll, we'll call her Alice because that's actually her name. (laughs) And so I went in to see her and she said, Hey, uh, you know, you overpaid, uh, the government last year by like $20,000, right? (laughs) And I was like, uh, no, she's like, yeah, she basically totally schooled me 
in terms of, and here's the deal, like CPAs know that it's their job to know everything about taxes, just like everything you can imagine. And I was going through the H&R Block program online and thought, man, these guys have thought of everything. I'm sure I'm getting all the money back that I deserve. Well, I was wrong. Um, so I suggest that you go in and hire a certified public accountant to help you file your taxes. And I know what you might be thinking, uh, Michael, I, you know, I don't really want to spend any more money to have taxes prepared. I don't have a lot of money. Um, or maybe you're thinking, Hey, I've been doing my taxes by myself, but I'm not sure if I've been doing them right. And I don't want to get caught doing them wrong. And then owe a bunch of back taxes and all this stuff. Listen, I say, don't worry about any of that stuff. Don't be intimidated. Okay. Go in for a free one hour consultation, um, with a CPA. I, I would recommend finding a small firm near you someplace that's local that you can easily drive to. Cause you'll probably have to meet them in person. Occasionally, uh, a lot of stuff can be on done online now, but, uh, especially for the first the first appointment, you're going to want to see them in person. So find somebody near you. I like small firms because, um, you know, I just think they're, they're more like me, right? They're a small business and I feel like they really care in general about their clients, but you're going to have to call around, read Google reviews. That's what I did. I found a great place that had, um, they had like a hundred five-star reviews, which is pretty good. I was looking around at some of the other places and, you know, they'd have, you know, one place would have three five-star reviews, right? Which is not anywhere near a hundred. And some places would have four star reviews and they'd have like 60 of them. So when I found a place that had a hundred five-star reviews, I was like, I definitely got to try this place. Um, and so far they've been great. So don't, don't be intimidated. They are there to help you. Okay. Um, I'm not, they're not attorneys, but they're basically, um, there to represent you, uh, to the IRS. So they're going to give you great advice. They're going to walk you through everything and they're basically going to be your ally. Um, as far as cost goes, I would say expect to pay, anywhere between 300 and 1500 dollars it, it can it can really vary just because everybody's tax situation is different right some people just have a sole proprietorship which is pretty easy to file for other people have llc's which is still pretty easy to file for but um, if you haven't been keeping good records that can get a little tricky right so make sure you keep good records of all your transactions. Try to keep them separate if you can. Uh, well, if you're an LLC, you have to keep all your business transactions separate from your personal ones. But if you're a sole proprietor, you can mix and mingle them. However, that makes tax time a little trickier, right? If you haven't been keeping track of everything. But like I said, I had actually overpaid the government by like $20,000. Alice told me, she's like, you know, I could have, had you come to me earlier, we could have done something about this. We could have like, say, like, had you had me do your return before, um, in the prior year, um, we, you would not have lost all this money, but now all that money's gone because, you know, it's a done deal. So ever since then, I've been going to Alice and having her do my taxes and 
I'm telling you what, you might have to pay 1500 bucks for a good CPA, but I'd rather spend $1,500 and get $20,000 back. Um, and here's the thing, like oftentimes they'll just take their payment out of your refund anyway. So I don't, I'm never even writing a check to my CPA. I just get a huge refund and I don't really know the difference other than it was, you know, almost 20 times the refund that I was getting before. So don't worry about costs. Don't worry about, uh, you know, whether you did your taxes right in past years or not, just go get a CPA. It's going to be one of the best things that you do. Hey guys, Michael here. Hope you're enjoying this podcast episode. If you're a new wedding videographer or thinking about taking the plunge into shooting weddings full time, I encourage you to check out my new video series, The Big Ten. This series will walk you through setting up your business legally and will also teach you the top 10 commandments for running your wedding videography business with no fear. You see, when I first started out as a wedding videographer, I did a lot of things wrong. And yes, some of those mistakes cost me thousands of dollars, some of them only cost me $100, but all of them cost me my pride. It's taken me almost a decade to get to the place where I feel comfortable helping people just like you navigate this sometimes odd but incredibly rewarding career path. So let me help you get your business started the right way. And just for being a listener of this podcast, you're going to get 50% off the cost of the series through the month of April. So head over to WeddingVideographySchool.com, click on the Resources tab, and select the Big Ten. Enter the promo code PODCAST10, all lowercase and all one word, the word PODCAST, and the number 10. This will change your business for the better. All right, so let's dive into the question from Daniel. He says, what focal lengths do you regularly use for which shot? Are there standards you always use for your fixed ceremony cameras? I try to get better at guessing the right one for the image I would like to have. Uh, Daniel, that's a great question. So in terms of the lenses that I use for the ceremony, uh, you know, my videographer friends kind of make fun of me because I am like somebody who's really skimped on lenses in the past. I think this year I will probably update that and kind of reverse that uh, <laughs> that trend because uh, I'm kind of tired of getting made fun of. But honestly, like right now, I'm kind of in a bit of a bind because I actually need to get a lens fixed. Um, but I will tell you what's on my cameras right now for the ceremony. I have, let's say it's a three camera setup, which it almost always is for me. On my back camera that's um, shooting down the center of the aisle, um, sometimes it's off to the side actually, just because I know photographers kind of hate when I post up in the middle of, of the aisle. Also, the bride needs to walk down a lot, so it's always kind of weird, I feel like, if you put the camera right in the middle of the aisle. Um, <laughs> But I guess that's kind of besides the point. On that back camera, I typically use a 35 millimeter lens and it's usually fixed. Now, ideally, uh, you have a good lens selection and maybe partway through uh, the ceremony, you can actually um, swap out that lens or put a zoom lens on there, right? So that you have the ability to kind of get a tighter shot from that back angle. But for me, I kind of like just having that wide back angle pretty much the whole time. It would be ideal if I could kind of punch in on that for 
you know, like the kiss or something like that. But in general, um, I like having a big wide shot that I can cut to at any time. As for the lens that I'm using on my camera that I'm walking around with, um, so when the bride's coming down the aisle, I have the 24 to 105 lens on. That's the Canon EF uh, 24 to 105, and it's a four it's a 4.0 aperture. So, um, you know, it's it's okay indoors. It's not great, but I also do like a ton of weddings that are either indoors with a lot of windows or outdoors. So I usually don't have too much of a problem with it not being like an awesome low light lens um, since most weddings are during the daytime anyway. And most weddings are pretty well lit. Uh, sometimes I have a night wedding and that can get a little tricky with that lens just because like I said, it's it's not very good in low light. But the thing I like about it is the 24 to 105 really gives you kind of a wide range to work with. Um, so I can get I can get decently close up as the bride is walking down the aisle. And then as she gets closer to me, I can quickly zoom out and uh, get a different a different looking shot of her walking down the aisle too, right? Um, so I typically use the 24 uh, to 105 basically for the whole ceremony on my camera. Now, across the way, if I have a second shooter or even if I don't have a second shooter with me, I'll have another camera um, propped up that's shooting the groom, right? Right now, uh, (laughs) I actually have a 50 millimeter lens on that, which depending on the setup, sometimes works great and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's the 50 millimeter lens is just so far away. But I should also mention that I'm using full frame cameras. Okay, so if you guys are using um, a camera with a cropped sensor, it's going to push in typically like one and a half times or 1.4 times whatever the focal length is, right? So if you're using like a 35 millimeter lens, it's going to be a lot closer to what a 50 millimeter lens looks like on a full frame. So you can actually get a lot tighter uh, with the cropped sensor cameras um, with uh, a lower millimeter lens, but uh, I'm using full frame just so you guys know. And with the 50 on the full frame, honestly, like I end up with head to toe shots a lot right now. Um, just because it's a 50 and the camera is typically a good distance away from the subject. I would love to just go ahead and put a 135 millimeter lens on there. At least once the bride is down the aisle, maybe swap that out for like a 135 millimeter lens. And Canon makes a great 135 millimeter EF lens. I'm going to see if I can pull it up real quick. Um, let's see here. I'm going to hunt for this 135 millimeter lens. Um, but it's, it's, it has a great image. I've seen it before. Um, I've used one before and I really like it. I'd love to have like two of them to be really honest. What I'd like to do is have two 135 millimeter lenses that I can swap out, right? So I'd put one on my camera and I would also put one on Uh, my second shooter's camera, who's on the other side of the ceremony. That would be perfect. 
And ideally, I'd probably get the EF-135 F2 lens. Um, it's about a thousand bucks. And uh, it's, it's just a really great lens. I, I think it's, I think it's awesome and it's really good. I think it's like the perfect, um, I think it's just the perfect lens for ceremonies when you're standing on either side of the ceremony space. But if you're looking for something that you can get a little closer with, like, let's say you want like a real close up of the bride or groom's face, I'd probably recommend the EF 70 to 200 millimeter lens. Um, Obviously, this is for Canon stuff, guys. I, I know some other companies have different mounts for their cameras. So if you have an EF mount, then obviously you can put Canon lenses on there. Um, but in general, you can find lenses for like the Sonys and Panasonics that are all kind of fit the same criteria. Um, but so keep in mind, I'm, I'm t- I am talking about Canon stuff, but it really just applies to any any uh, camera that you're looking to fit, you can find a lens that's pretty similar. Uh, Canon makes the 70 to 200 millimeter f uh, 2.8, um, and that lens actually has image stabilization on it, which is awesome. The only thing, the only downside is, is it's like a $2,000 lens. Um, I usually try to hop on eBay or something like that and try to find one that's in great condition but used, um, and usually that'll knock 20% or so off the price at least. Um, they also have a, uh, a 70, uh, to 200 millimeter lens. So it's the same lens, but without image stabilization, which I really wouldn't recommend for video. I mean, you might be on a tripod and that's great, but like if you're touching the tripod at all, that lens is going to shake a bit. So I, I definitely say go, go for the image stabilization. Um, the MSRP on the uh, the seventy to two hundred without image stabilization is like fourteen hundred bucks. So um, I feel like if you're gonna spend a thousand dollars, like you might as well spend another. I know this sounds crazy, but you might as well s- spend another thousand dollars to get the lens that's actually gonna be the best for you. Um, so yeah, if you want to get a little bit closer, I recommend those lenses. You know, the only issue is like you're kind, then you kind of get stuck at seventy. You know what? I think that's a pretty good lens for a ceremony. I, I think that really is a good option for a lot of people, especially if you want to get those tight close-ups. So um, for me, ideally, here's what my setup would be. I would probably have a 24 to 105 on my back camera. I would probably have a 70 to 200 on my camera or maybe even a 24 to 105 on my camera to start the ceremony um, and then swap it out maybe for like a 70 to 200 once the bride is down the aisle. Um, usually I have a few quick seconds to switch switch uh, settings or put the camera on the tripod or whatever. So I'd probably swap out the lens then. And then on the other side of the ceremony where my second shooter is facing towards the groom, I'd probably have him probably the same setup to be really honest. If I could afford to have three 24 to one Oh fives and then <laughs> two of the 70 to 200 millimeter lenses, that would be awesome. Uh, or even the 135. honestly, I'd be perfectly happy with the 135 millimeter. Um, and it's a thousand dollars. So it's, 
I, I could probably buy two of those for the cost of one of those 70 to 200 millimeter lenses. So that would probably make a little bit more sense. So that's kind of my ideal setup. Um, but really it's up to you. It's obviously it's going to depend a lot on budget. It always comes down to budget this year. I'm really thinking, you know, I've kind of been, I've kind of been in this weird space lately in my head where I'm thinking about how can I be a better videographer? And I definitely think a, um, moving up to at least 1080p, uh, <laughs> some of you are like totally making fun of me, but Hey, Canon does not on the 5D Mark III, they did not include uh, 1080p at 60 frames a second, which is what I love to shoot in. So I've been shooting at 720p for pretty much all my weddings, but I think this year I'm going to step it up and get into 1080p at at least 60 frames per second, if not 120, um, with the option to do 4K if I need or want to do it. Um, so I think I'm going to make some pretty big investments in, and I hate to use the word investments when I talk about cameras because they, they're just a depreciating asset, right? I wouldn't even call them an asset. I'd probably just call them a liability, but, um, but nonetheless, I am going to spend a bunch of money on cameras, I believe this year, and hopefully I will find some money to update some of my lenses as well. At least get another 24 to 105, but hopefully buy uh, a couple 135 millimeter lenses as well. And for those of you who don't know, one of my favorite lenses that I have is my 50 millimeter 1.4. It's a Zeiss EF mount and it is awesome. It's a little more expensive than like the Canon's 1.4 50 millimeter, but it's a way better build quality. Um, I love that lens. It's it's awesome in low light. I always get photographers coming up to me asking about it, wanting to put it on their camera and try it out. And I get really good feedback from photographers on that lens. Like some of them have the Canon uh, 1.2 50 millimeter, the L series lens, and they like my Zeiss better. I'm not saying it is a better lens. I, I really don't know. Um, but I've had plenty of photographers like try it out for a few shots and they're just like, man, the, 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 they just love the way it looks. So I highly recommend that lens. I'm a big fan of that lens. Um, pretty much, you know, once the sun goes down, I'm pretty much on that lens, like the whole night. Uh, again, that will probably change once I get another 135, uh, millimeter lens, but, um, you know, cause they, that, that lens, you can, you can do some fairly dark situations with that lens as well. But yeah, the, the 1.4 Zeiss is, is really beautiful. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So Daniel, I hope this answers your questions. If you guys have questions for me, please shoot me an email at Michael at wedding videography school.com. Hey guys, this episode of Wedding Videography School is brought to you by Photographers Wearing Wide Brim Hats. Uh, Photographers Wearing Wide Brim Hats is the nation's number one wedding photography company, and for good reason. Uh, They are clearly the most creative, most unique uh, individuals out there, 
and their photography is so creative i can't even begin to describe how creative it is that's how creative it is if you guys are working with photographers who aren't wearing wide brim hats then you're probably not working with the best photographers out there so um, you know whether you're having a wedding a birthday party uh, or you're taking your kids to school or you're hanging out at home or going to the bathroom you know all things that you want photographed creatively um, it should be done by photographers wearing wide brim hats a lot of you guys, I know you're working with photographers who aren't wearing wide rim hats. They might not be wearing hats at all. And um, that's a problem. If they're not wearing a wide rim hat, I don't know what the point of them even picking up a camera is. But when you work with photographers wearing wide rim hats, you know that you're always getting someone who's going to uh, give you the most incredible shots that you could imagine. So for your next event, whether it's a wedding, a birthday party, a family reunion, uh, your mom's pap smear, whatever the event, make sure that you hire photographers wearing wide brim hats um, to get the most creative still images captured, you know, one frame at a time. And that's what, that's what photography is. It's, you know, you hear the click, click, and you know you got one frame. And then you hear another click. Sometimes you hear eight clicks in a row, like click, 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 click. Uh, that, they just got eight pictures. And maybe one of them is good. Probably not. But the photographer wearing a wide brim hat, they are going to pull those photos later on and you know, really, really select the eight or six shots that they got from the entire day. Um, that they stood in front of the videographer to get, and they're gonna they're gonna edit those down into something truly magical. Probably, um, probably just two eight by tens that you can put in the living room next to the closet door. So give photographers with wide brim hats a call today and book them for your next event. <laughs>